You're listening to Expanding Horizons, the podcast of the Unitarian Church of South Australia, a home of progressive spirituality and free religious thought and action since 1854. The views expressed in these podcasts are those of the speaker and are not intended to represent the position of the church itself or of the worldwide Unitarian Universalist movement. For more information, visit unitariansa.org.au. Well, good morning, everyone. I'll just start with a few notices of the week. If people are wondering about the newsletter, that's coming out slightly late, probably tomorrow. Just letting you know that next weekend, for those of you who would like to visit Shady Grove, our chapel in the hills, there's a Vespers service on Sunday the 4th of February at 5pm. Following that, there's our monthly meditation session on the 7th of February, Wednesday the 7th, 5.30pm here. We're still encouraging people to donate toys that people don't need. We're collecting those for children of the future. You can check the notice board later for a notice about an Afghans in Art exhibition, just something of interest, opening on Saturday 16th of March as part of the Fringe. And of course, I let everyone know that you're welcome to make financial contributions on the way out if you wish, as we are a wholly independent, self-governed church. Also important to note that we meet on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. We respect their elders past and present. And most importantly, everyone is welcome here, no matter what your age, disabilities, we all have them, gender, ethnicity, whatever. Everyone is welcome in this place. And let's start with some music. Thank you to Brendan on the piano and Grant on the guitar. Bob Dylan's New Morning. Special welcome to the young people we have here today. Look forward to seeing them a little bit later on. is the custom in our service we light the flame on this chalice as we come together as a community where we can encourage each other and most importantly ourselves to be wiser kinder more loving people and now I'd like to invite David up to present to us a story for all ages Good morning, everybody. Um, Julia's going to help me tell the story today. And so all of you, if you don't mind, please, we're going to say the lines in black at some point during the story, and we need you to call out the part in red. Should we just give it a quick practice? So, but on the inside, he was sad. He's sad. Oh, very good. You don't need practice. (laughs) 
Unless it's Dr. Jekyll, then you'd better hide. All that really counts and matters is... All right, you got this. Let's do it. Give us the one about the dirty rascal, why don't you? Isn't that one a bit long? Well, quicker into it, quicker out of it. All right, then. Once upon a time, in a nursery rhyme... There was a castle with a king hiding in a wing. But he never went to school to learn a single thing. He had scepters and swords and a parliament of lords. But on the inside, he was sad. Because he never had a wisdom for numbers, a wisdom for words. Though his crown was quite immense, his brain was smaller than a bird's. So the queen of the nation made a royal proclamation. To the misters and the messes, the more or lessers. Bring me all the land's professors, and she went to the hairdressers. And they came from the east, and they came from the south. From each college they poured knowledge from their brains into his mouth. But the king couldn't learn, so each professor met their fate. For the queen had their heads removed and placed upon the gate. And on that date, I state their wives all got a note. Their mate was now the late great. But then suddenly one day a stranger started in to sing. He said, I'm the dirty rascal and I'm here to teach the king. And the queen clutched her jewels for she hated royal fools. But this fool had some rules they really ought to teach in schools. Like you'll be a happy king if you enjoy the things you've got. You should never try to be the kind of person that you're not. So they sang and they laughed for the king had found a friend. And they ran into the rainbow for the story's perfect end. So the moral is you mustn't let the outside be the guide. For it's not so cut and dried. Well, unless it's Dr. Jekyll, then you better hide. No, the truth can't be denied. As I know it's testified. All, All that, that really counts and matters, matters is, is the, the special stuff inside. Well, that was wonderful. And may I say, what expert memorising of lines. And one might say, well, why bother to memorise anything? It's all on the internet. But the fact is, you're training your brain when you memorise lines like that. That's why in the old days they used to recite poetry at schools and things like that. But no matter what your age, it does help to memorise things. Now, let's... (laughs) Yes, it's a photograph of young people. Horrific, isn't it? If it's too embarrassing, I can take that back. Leave it on. I'm getting demand to leave it on. What I'm going to do is ask our young people up because before they head off to their school year, and we're here to wish them well today, but we would like to meet them. And so, one by one, they'll come up to the hot seat here to be interviewed. So, who would like to be first? So, I think we've met all of our young people now, haven't we? So, we do have a little going away gift, going away to school that is. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they are. Look, they're specially wrapped in little envelopes. Have a wonderful school year. Isn't it wonderful to meet such a group of accomplished and mature young people? Just really heartwarming. Yeah. Look. I mean, 
Let not anyone say there's not a future for this place. We've got an orchestra and a coffee shop lined up. Fantastic. All right. Uh, now we'll invite Brendan and Grant back. Uh, we've handed out him. She, oh, just uh, Brendan's going to go solo on the on the piano, and we've handed out some hymns. So hopefully you can find a sheet and uh, and sing along. Brendan, will you play through once the whole tune through, and then we'll stand and sing. Thank you. to another regular part of a service where people have the opportunity to light a candle and express a joy or a concern to the group, some personal joy or concern, and I'll light first. Now, please take a moment of silence uh, with me to contemplate what we've heard and pray, if you will. As is often the case, we hear stories of all kinds of family relationships in this time that we share. We hear of difficulties and we pray for peace and understanding in dealing with the problems that inevitably arise. We pray for peace for those who deal with these difficulties, we pray for peace for those who must deal with loss. We pray also for the welfare of our young people, the people here in church today, but also the younger generations in our family, the hope of the future, what wisdom they bring, what amazing truths they tell us. Let us be thankful for all that we experience, especially those joyous moments of revelation from our young people. Thank you. And now I invite Grant up to give the reading today. Today's reading is from The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank. People who have a religion should be glad, for not everyone has the gift of believing in heavenly things. You don't necessarily even have to be afraid of punishment after death. Purgatory, hell and heaven are things that a lot of people can't accept. 
But still a religion, it doesn't matter which, keeps a person on the right path. It isn't the fear of God, but the upholding of one's own honour and conscience. How noble and good everyone could be if, every evening before falling asleep, they were to recall to their minds the events of the whole day and consider exactly what has been good and bad. Then, without realising it, you try to improve yourself at the start of each new day. Of course, you achieve quite a lot in the course of time. Anyone can do this. It costs nothing and is certainly very helpful. Whoever doesn't know it must learn and find by experience that a quiet conscience makes one strong. One of the joys of preparing this time on Sunday mornings is that there are quite often amazing, beautiful synchronicities which can't fully be predicted when I'm putting bits and pieces together. And there's quite a theme this morning of amazing wisdom coming from young people. And certainly it's fitting to hear an excerpt from Anne Frank's writings, who sadly perished so young. Well, I have a theme today which might be something different. The question I ask is, why would we be here rather than in a Christian church this morning? Now, if your orientation is Jewish or Buddhist or atheist, it's probably quite easy to answer that. But I do think it's worth asking because quite a few of us have come from a Christian background and chosen to be here in this community. So it's worth exploring the distinction between us and the Christian faith. It's worth remembering that Unitarians come from a Christian background. It was about 400 years ago that the Unitarian ideas came to England from Eastern Europe, from the fringes of the Holy Roman Catholic Empire. Intense study and analysis by dissident scholars of the day established that the Christian Bible did not support the notion that Jesus was a God walking on earth or that there are three forms of God which are really one. In other words, the Trinitarian theology. Even so, right up to the last 50 years, less perhaps, Unitarians regularly referred to the Christian Bible and sought to understand the teachings of Jesus, who I prefer to call Yeshua, not only because he would have been called by that name at the time when he lived and taught, but it's less encumbered by the baggage of 1900 years of theological debates. There was a shift in the West 50 or 60 years ago as people let go of the old certainties. More and more people explored alternative beliefs, including concepts from Hinduism and Buddhism. And this cultural shift was reflected in our Unitarian group in Adelaide as well, even though by disposition Unitarians had long been tolerant of and interested in other ways of understanding the world. And this was practically reflected in the organisation's 1977 change to the Constitution when the Unitarian Christian Church of South Australia became the Unitarian Church of South Australia. 
and just throwing it out there, possibly our next name change might be simply to the Unitarians of South Australia. I'm not pushing. But there's an obvious contrast between Unitarians and probably all other faiths in that we survive without dogma. We have our seven principles with which any humanist, and I dare say any reasonable person, would agree. Principles are elastic, however, and reasonable people of goodwill can apply principles in a given situation in different ways. They are a guide, not an absolute rule as to how to behave in a specific situation. And possibly therein lies our lack of mass appeal. I suspect that in the centuries before I was born, in the age of empires and monolithic religions, I think there was a higher degree of certainty for a lot of people. Not so much in terms of their material welfare, there were probably more people uh, than even now that were worrying about how to pay the rent and where the next meal was going to come from, but in terms of certainties of life, those notions of heaven and hell, a personal God of Jesus and all of that, I suspect there was more certainty then than people have had in the last 50 years. In a more certain world, perhaps there was less need to ask for certainty of Unitarians. It was somewhat easier to be part of a group that didn't dictate beliefs when so much of the world appeared to be set and certain. In recent times, the higher degree of uncertainty about spiritual and political realities perhaps has made people more hungry for certainty and looking for some sort of certain guarantee of salvation or whatever. Theologically, our heritage is that everybody ends up all right in the end. And please excuse the technical language I'm using. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the Christians, the starkest contrast obviously lies in the fact that Christians uphold the flesh and blood rabbi who wandered around Galilee 2,000 years ago, as an immortal, eternal, metaphysical being. Now, the early Yeshua movement within Judaism, and subsequently as a standalone religious group based in Rome, grappled with the nature of Yeshua for literally hundreds of years, hundreds of years, before settling on the formula expressed in the Nicene Creed, the creed which is recited in Christian churches annually, if not more frequently. Even though some of us may have had unsatisfactory or even positively traumatic experiences in the so-called Christian environment, it would be an unfortunate reaction if everything in common with Christian experience was rejected. I myself developed an aversion to Christianity when I was a boy. My parents were by no means heavy-handed about religion, but they wanted me to have some moral education, so they bought for me one of those children's picture Bibles. I was an enthusiastic reader, and I really enjoyed reading the stories and looking at the matching pictures. And looking back on it, it was probably an addition which excluded some of the ruthless tales of conquest in the Jewish history section, but there were lots of lovely, interesting stories. And when I was about seven or eight years old, my parents took it a bit further 
and they enrolled me in Sunday school at a local church. From the first session, I realised that there was a reading component. Bibles would be handed out and the teacher would assign a certain text and we'd all read it together. And then the Bibles would be handed back and would do something else, colouring in or whatever it was. So the following Sunday, I thought, well, I'll take along my picture Bible and I can read from that. At the end of the Bible reading, which was all fine, a rather stern-looking elderly lady came around to collect the Bibles. Of course, I held on to mine because I'd brought it with me. She grabbed hold of it and firmly told me that it was time to give it back. I feebly murmured, it's mine, but I held on to it for dear life because that was my Bible, my special picture Bible. And she pulled as hard as she could, but she could not wrest it out of my hands. And finally, she gave up with a very harsh look at this impudent boy. If looks could kill. So I decided not to go back to church for a very long time. Let's, uh, we need some cheering up after that, I think. So, so uh, Brendan and Grant will play us some more lovely music. So we're going to hear high hopes. And when they were emailing me the title of the song, I thought Panic at the Disco was another tune they were going to play, but it's the name of the band that arranged this particular version. now worked out that had nothing to do with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now, I do have uh, some more thoughts on this. Now, I realise that many of us cannot accept that a mortal flesh and blood rabbi could also be an immortal, eternal, metaphysical figure. But that doesn't mean that there's so much richness that we can't draw from the Christian tradition. So many philosophers, musicians, writers have written and expressed beautiful, wise thoughts in Christian themes. And one can derive 
great insight from the teaching of Yeshua and the stories about him as written down in the Christian Bible and other works of the same era. You shall love your neighbour as yourself remains one of the greatest moral instructions of all time. It immediately jump-starts our ego, puts it in place and brings us awareness of the other's concerns. Our imagination is immediately jolted. What does the other person feel about what I'm doing? How would I like it if it happened to me? And more than just awareness of the other, it encourages compassion for the other. It is a radical message to care for another person as much as we care for our own satisfaction. I leave to one side the declaration of Yeshua that there is one God and that we must love God. Although, I would say, as long as we are casting off the old notion of a, an old bloke with a beard sitting on a throne, personally, I'm quite comfortable with that direction. To acknowledge the unknowable and yearn to be reunited with the unity behind and above all creation. To leave my personal direction, objectives freely chosen as an individual, to the spirit of life as to whether they might be carried out or not, I have no trouble with such things. For those who consider the concept of God to be tarnished from its misuse in the Christian context over the centuries, or even to be improbable, I respect that point of view. We can still discuss spiritual growth and humanistic values without resorting to talk of God. But the stories about Yeshua are instructive. In equal measure, some of his responses, as recorded, suggest mercy. In equal measure, severity. His wisdom was situational, not rules-based. At a time when someone expected harsh judgment, like the woman at the well who had been with a number of men, he was merciful. And yet this is the same rabbi who said, apparently, if your eye offends you, that is, with impure thoughts, then pluck it out. We can go into the insights of such teachings some other time. But the point is we can listen to the old writings and discern what makes sense to us, what appeals to our sense of reason, humanity and love. Approaching it this way, the nature of his being is immaterial. Another crucial difference between Unitarians and Christians arises from the experience of the traumatised followers of Yeshua as they struggled to understand how he could have died on the cross. Remarks he had made to his disciples led them to believe, if we accept the story for a moment, that he would save the Jewish people from their troubles in the lifetime of the disciples. Thousands of people had their hopes raised and then he was dead, killed by the Romans like a common criminal. Once Paul, or Shaul, spread the word that Yeshua was a God on earth, 
It couldn't be said that he just died and had gone to lie inertly in the eternal resting place of Sheol, according to Jewish understanding of the time. It couldn't be the end of the story, or all we would have is a story of a few thousand Jewish people getting their hopes up about a possible Messiah, not the only time in history, and then continuing with their Jewish belief and practices before. Therefore, the, the theology was developed that Yeshua must have had a continuing existence and be available for intercession in human affairs, continuing his ministry of healing and help, but from a supernatural level. This was not a novel idea at the time. It was just like Greek, Roman and other polytheistic gods around the Mediterranean arena. The notion that Roman authorities had put God to death was untenable. Therefore, it had to be explained that Yeshua's death must have been deliberate because why would a god allow himself to be killed by the soldiers of an occupying army? So a logical answer was that he chose to do it for the benefit of humanity, which made sense if there was a heaven and hell and humanity could never get to heaven unless Jesus took the blame for all of the bad things humanity had done and would ever do. Uh, as you know, a very complex theology was built up around that proposition. For Unitarians, it is more simple and more positive. It is more positive because our focus is on encouraging people. We don't judge people for their shortcomings. We may try and influence their behaviour for the common good, but we don't judge people. Indeed, if we have people among us who hold to Christian or Jewish or Muslim or Hindu beliefs, it is not for us to judge them. It is not for us to feel superior with intellectual pride that we have seen through the illusions. Perhaps they have something to offer that we don't have or yet understand. And occasionally, if some of us are judgmental, well, I'm not going to judge them for that. <laughs> judgmental is not what we're about. Unitarian, Unitarianism is also more simple because we take the lessons from the stories of Yeshua, indeed from Christian, Jewish and other scriptures, and apply them to our lives to encourage ourselves to become wiser, kinder, more loving people. So I share various stories and poems in this place in the hope that some of it, some of the time, will make a difference to some people to help them become wiser and kinder and more loving. In this place, it matters not whether you believe any of the old stories, but it is vital that your imagination runs free to contemplate what it would mean if the stories were true. One hopes that your imagination is free enough to do that. All sorts of questions arise. What would you ask Yeshua if you had the chance? And could speak Hebrew. What would you say if you met a person at a well, unlikely, but let's say at a well, who lived in shame because they debased themselves with promiscuity? What would you say to a rich person if they came to this place and said they were ready for spiritual perfection because they lived in accordance with the seven Unitarian principles? 
to sum up, I'm not here to give you the answers. I hope that for some of you, some of the time, I'm at least asking the right questions or giving food for thought. Here it matters not what you believe, but how you live your life. How you serve others. We may live with uncertainty about the grand questions of existence, the universe and our place in it. But people, let us make that noble commitment to be more kind and gracious, more kind and gracious with our fellow human beings and let us tread lightly on this earth. May it be so. May it be so. May it be so. And if you're upset about what I've said, don't worry, be happy. (laughs) Our final song. you've enjoyed this Expanding Horizons podcast. These podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter. They can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter. This permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. Please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on Facebook or Twitter by searching SA Unitarians or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.